0: The world fought against the coronavirus in 2020. Another deadly and silent pandemic emerged that affected millions of people around the world mental illness. While many of us have adapted to the new normal, that includes social distancing, and at times social isolation, new guidelines and updated measures have intensified those struggling with mental health. The rapidly changing pandemic conditions have led to 89% of college students experiencing stress or anxiety and 60% of students said they've experienced depression since the pandemic started. So what is the responsibility of the church in this silent pandemic of mental health that sits each week in our congregations across the world? How do we answer the tough questions that many Christians have about mental health? In the teaching series, A Journey from Darkness into God's Light, the Reality of Mental Health, Pastor Bank addresses the very tough questions and lets us know that you are not alone, It's not your fault, God is with you and God's word speaks through you. If you or anyone are suffering with mental illness, contact walkfanusa.org because it's time to expose this silent pandemic.
1: Good morning, good morning, good morning. morning. How are we all doing this morning? Okay, okay. Nice to see you this morning. For those of you in person here, we really appreciate seeing you. And uh, if you are watching online, we just want to thank God for you. We are coming to you right on the beautiful campus of World Outreach Church for All Nation in Lawrenceville, uh, Georgia. And here we are building strong families and serving global communities. So you're welcome this morning. And uh, let me just use this opportunity to just say, we just want to thank every one of you, every one person that has supported us and is supporting us and keeps supporting us and intends to keep supporting us. We just want to appreciate you, appreciate all that you have done. We cannot do ministry without you. And we just want you to know that God is uh i mean you're a part of what god is doing here and uh before long you will see exactly what god is doing so very much appreciated all right we're still continuing in uh the series that uh we have started for uh for a few weeks now all right uh but today i have subtitled this simplify um, and it's the premise for this, the premise for my, uh, the, the, the direction in which I'm going is how do you stay out of darkness in the first place? Or if you have come out of darkness and you're not in the light of God, how do you remain in the light? There's something that you need to do. And for many of us that are sitting down here today, and those of you listening to me online and, you know, through our various platforms, if I ask you the question today, if I ask the question and I put it out there this morning, and I say, what do you think we should do to remain in God's light? Or what do you think we should do to keep ourselves from getting into the trap of the darkness that the enemy has set for us? Uh, There'll be various answers here this morning, uh, and all over the place, there'll be various answers. Uh, For some, it may be, you know, we need to pray them more. For some others, it might be, we need to study the word of God the more. Uh, For some other people, it might be, uh, you know, we need community. Avoid bitterness, live by faith, rejoice always. There are all kinds of answers that will be a response to that kind of a question. And the truth is, all these answers are right. They are correct. All the answers and every suggestion that I've mentioned there, and many more, are okay. But, I want us to look at Scripture and try and see what Scripture has to say through the eyes or the mouth of Paul, the apostle, alright? Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians 1, 8, let's start from verse 8. Second Corinthians, chapter 1 verse 8. All right, I'll just, um, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter 1 verse 8. Starting from verse 8, and I'll read from the KJV. Um, All right. Look at what Paul is saying. But before that, let me just give you a background of, you know, this episode of Paul, this episode that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And the the, the first Corinthians, the book of first Corinthians was instructional. In other words, he tried to tell the Corinthians or to teach them what they needed to do to be able to be in good or right standing, all right, with their new faith, the new faith they have embraced. Now, after the first Corinthians. after that process had happened second corinthians he wrote second corinthians for a particular reason and the reason for which he wrote second corinthians was because there were some teachers that have come into the corinthian church and guess what they were doing they went and they were planting or they were sowing the seed of discord among the corinthian poor among the corinthian church all right and one of the things that they did was to kind of challenge or question the qualification, the apostolic qualification of Paul. And so the whole of the book of Second Corinthians, he used to defend his apostleship. Alright? So that's why the way 2 Corinthians is written is different from the way the First Corinthians was written. The First Corinthians was instructional. The 2 Corinthians was like a, a, a lawyer defending himself. And in all this process, one of the defenses that he made was the sign of his apostleship. And one of the signs of his apostleship were the sufferings that he suffered for the gospel. And so that gives us a background, I just want to use that quickly as a background for what we're about to read. And in verse 8, look at what Paul said. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. Asia here, we know it's, it's those area in, you know, current day Turkey, those areas they used to be called, you know, Asia or Asia Minor in those days, all right? he said, we will not have you ignorant of our sufferings, or the things, the troubles we went through in Asia. For we were pressed out of measure above strength. In other words, we were pressed beyond what we could naturally bear. Inasmuch that death that we despair even of life, all right? but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves in other words the troubles were so much the things that he was going through were so much beyond what he could bear and to him it was like a sentence of death that was passed on him now i don't know anybody who has been you know uh, on death row but i have watched documentaries you know about death row and for many of them, in fact, one of the, one of, one of the guys I heard when I, in, that, in that documentary is, you know, uh, when the guy was going to die, when he knew the date, when the date was getting closer, it, life was much more bearable than just living in death row, than having that death sentence passed on him. Because when they, you have like a death sentence passed on you, guess what, it's like living to experience your death. You are alive, but you are experiencing your death. You are looking at yourself die. You know what? Because hope has been taken away from you. The ability to aspire has been taken away from you. And these are some of the things that we, you know, we, 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 we don't celebrate as human beings. These are things we don't appreciate a lot of times. That we can still hope, that we can still expect, that we can still rejoice, that we can still aspire for things. If you can think of these things, if you're in a position where you still have hope or you can still hope. I mean, life is good. That's why, that's why, you know, uh, 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 in in scriptures we're told that, you know, uh, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You know why? Because a living dog still still has hope, but a dead lion is dead. Nothing can happen to him. So Paul is telling us this morning that we're in a state, we were at a state where life was so depressing that it was like watching ourselves dying. Alright? So, let's go on, Um, verse 9, I'm sorry, Uh, oh my God, one second, okay, verse 9, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raised the dead, or which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us, by the means of many persons, thanks may be given uh, by many on our behalf. Now I want you to take note of this. I want you to take note of this. Take note of verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience. That in simplicity, I wanted to make note of that, that's why this is where I got the title of this message from. That in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have our conversation in the world and much more abundantly to you, world. In other words, all these things that were happening to Paul, when he was in that dark place, where he felt like a death sentence had response on him, where he felt like he was watching himself dying, like so many of us are going through or some of us are going through sometimes or we go through at times. What was Paul's response? What are the lessons that we can learn or the wisdom that we can learn from what Paul has given us or Paul is showing us? How did Paul survive a situation where he was in despair? What happened to him? what did he do and what can we learn from there and that's the crux of the message this morning all right Paul said I was in a position I was in a spot where we were despaired of life we were despaired of life life had no meaning after a while that was our position that was where we were as a group of people or as a group of missionaries who were there to serve God but here is Paul look at what he said He said that our rejoicing, in other words, in all of this, we still rejoiced. And our rejoicing, there's a reason for our rejoicing. And our rejoicing was the testimony of our conscience. In other words, maybe I should just tell you what what conscience is a lot of times, you know, just, just, just tell you what a conscience is. Your conscience is your guide as to what is right or what is wrong. It is a witness, it is that voice, and a lot of times your conscience, for a lot of us, we can either build our conscience or we kill our conscience. That's why the Bible talks about people who have their conscience seared with hot iron. In other words, they deliberately kill their conscience. You know, how do you build a, a lot of guide that you have as a result of the things that you have built or you have deliberately decided to build or to believe or to trust or to understand or to accept? They begin to form that level of, you know, your conscience, all right? And Paul said, we have a testimony of our conscience that are rejoicing and what was the testimony what was that what was testifying what was their conscience testifying to them it is that what in simplicity and godly sincerity in other words the testimony of Paul's conscience was simplicity and godly sincerity and not just that look at that I want you to take note of that very carefully he said that in simplicity and godly sincerity not with fleshly wisdom but by the grace of god we have had our conversation that word conversation simply means we have had our conduct we have had our behavior we have had our character we have had the way we express ourselves he said by godly by the grace of god not fleshly wisdom this simplicity and sincerity have been what has been the our conversation or our interaction in the world and abundantly to you, word. What is Paul telling us here? What do we understand by what Paul is saying? Paul is simply saying, when I got to this level of despair, when I got to this point, when things don't seem they're working, when I was walking not just in the shadow of darkness, but I was emblazoned by darkness itself something stood out for me, something worked for me. That's why I can now, in spite of everything that is going on, I can still rejoice. And that is that I conducted my, my life. I conducted everything I did in simplicity and godly sincerity. In other words, Paul is saying, I did not wait for things to happen before I simplified my life. I did not wait for things to go on, I did not wait for, 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 for darkness to start opening itself before I began to walk in godly sincerity. In other words, I streamlined my life or I coalesced my life around sincerity and simplicity. But today I'm not going to talk about sincerity, I'm just going to focus on the simplicity. Alright? But before then. I quickly want to show you something. I quickly want to explain some things to us. And that is, you know, when you see despair, when somebody says they are despair, I want you to know something that despair always comes in groups. It does not come alone. When somebody is despair, when somebody is at that state where uh, uh, hopelessness is beginning to come, you know that they come in groups. And there are so many things that surround that. But for just this study this morning, for our talk This morning, or conversation, or teaching, or whatever it is you want to uh, uh, say, this uh, for just this this morning. I want, I just want to talk about two other things that accompany despair. All right, uh, number one, number one thing that accompany that is what disappointments. Number one is disappointments. Anytime you see somebody who is despair, I want you to know that disappointment is not too far away. Number two. Discouragement. Anytime you see somebody who is despair, who is disappointed, and remains in that, you are not going to see discouragement too far away, and then you have despair. So those are the three things I'm just going to, you know, quickly talk about. What is disappointment? Disappointment is living below the line of expectation. When your expectations are not met, that is called disappointment. And too many times, for many people, and for many of us, our journey into the abyss, especially when it comes to mental health, our journey into this area of of, of oppression, of mental oppression, and this darkness starts from disappointments. A young lady has been been dating somebody, and all of a sudden, uh, that didn't go that well. And that disappointment comes, and then you begin to uh, 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 living that you begin to uh, that be- begins to become your reality and guess what before long before you know it if that continues you begin to move slowly and gradually into that state of darkness or you graduate you cannot find a job and all your expectation in college is that I'm going to get this fantastic job and it doesn't happen then you are disappointed. And if you don't have control over that, guess what? You begin to move gradually and slowly into that realm of darkness. All right? The second one, discouragement. Discouragement is living below the line of enthusiasm. You don't have enthusiasm for life because something has happened, something that you did not expect happened and it just sucked life out of you. But you see, there's, not, there's no way you can live without enthusiasm. The Bible calls it sometimes zeal. And sometimes he calls it joy. We have to have joy for, our life, for life. And if that is missing, you have to find a way of discovering it, of rediscovering it, of finding it. The Bible tells us about David, that he encouraged himself in the Lord. When everything had been down, everything went wrong, everything did not work, he found a way of encouraging himself in the Lord. And one of the ways that he, David, when you see David, one of the ways that he encouraged himself in the Lord is that he always remembered what God had done for him that whatever it is that is happening to him now is not any different from what God has done before. And the same God that did it before is going to do it again. And we find David encouraging himself and moving on. And then what is despair really? For somebody to be in a state of despair is that you you are in a state, and this is the deepest of all three of them that I've mentioned now, is that you are in a state where hope is not present. And that is not a good place to be. And that is why Paul said. Paul said, he said it was like the sentence, because hope has been sucked out. He said it was like the sentence of death has been passed on me. I'm just living and watching my own death sentence. All right, let me quickly go back to verse 12, where Paul said, the way I overcame this, the way things worked for me, the way I was able to live above this realm of this level of darkness is that I had conducted my life with sincerity and simplicity. And like I said, simplicity is all I'm going to be looking at this morning. What does it mean to conduct your life with simplicity? Or what was Paul telling us? How do you conduct your life with simplicity? If I think of that before, uh, uh, um, you know, the images that come to my head, right? The image of roads and all of that. Like in Atlanta, right? We have this Spaghetti Junction, and uh, I was reading. I was reading a report about Spaghetti Junction and uh, NTSC. Is it NTSC or NTS or whatever they call it? sir. NTSA. NTSA, right? The Transportation Authority Administration or something. Administration, all right. Spaghetti Junction for the last three years has been uh, the number one bottleneck for traffic in terms of trailer traffic. Why? You see all those things coming up? It's easy to make mistakes there. Why? Because that place, the concept of Spaghetti Junction is really not simple. It is structured in a way that it's confusing. And if you get there, if you don't understand that road, if you have not been there for a long time, or if you have not been here for a while, or if you have not driven on that road, the chance of you making errors and making mistakes is highly, highly possible. And for many of us, our lives are just as complex, even if not more complex, than the Spaghetti Junction thing. (laughs) And when we live in that complexity, when we live in that complexity, guess what happens? Life Life begins to get tough. And it's very easy to begin to enter into that realm of darkness. We need to simplify our lives. So how did Paul do it? What did Paul say? Open with me to Philippians 3, and let's see what Paul said. Philippians 3. Are we there? Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13. Thank you. I count not myself to have apprehended. Look at what it said. But one thing I do. How many things? Looks like a lot of people are just looking at me like uh... <laughs> Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. In other words, Paul was not focused on doing too many things at the same time. He simplified his life by figuring out what was important, and he built his life around that. And that was why Paul, when he gets to, when he gets to some points, when he was suffering, he understood why he was suffering. You know why? He has streamlined himself. He has reduced his, his you know, he, he, the span of his activity to, to be surrounded around one thing. All right? And he says, so, because of that, this one thing, forgetting the past, moving on, has become the plumb line for me to measure the activities of my life. If this does not meet that plumb line, or if it does not gauge with that plumb line, then it's something I'm, I'm just, I'm just gonna avoid. Are we still together? Yes. Another person That Paul, this this idea was not particularly Paul's idea, right? Paul was was, was a student of the word of God. He was studious. David before him, many years before him, said something also. All right? Psalm 27 verse 4. What did David say? He said, one thing have I desired. And that one thing will I pursue. That I may what? Dwell in the house of the Lord and then learn at his feet. And if you look at the whole of David's life, if you look at the whole of David's life, this was a plumb line. Everything is surrounded by David. Even when David did wrong, the times he did wrong, what he cried most about was he did not want to lose the presence of God. Anything that did not line up with the presence of God, was not what David will embrace. That's why you say, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He said, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. If you look at his testimonies or his writings and all of that, it was centered and simplified around these facts that I want to do this. This is the most important thing in my life. What is the wisdom for us here today? especially when we want to tackle uh, uh, this mental oppression and mental, uh, 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 mental sanity. What is, it, what is the wisdom here today for us? The wisdom here for you and me is that as Christians, we have to have godly values that we surround our lives around. Godly values that we surround our lives around. Now, Paul said one thing. David said one thing. But that one thing is just an allegory for you to simplify your life around something that is godly. Simplify your life around something or some things that are godly, all right? Look for godly values. Now, does it mean that other values are not important? They are important. But you have to have things that are godly. You have to have godly values that are driving your life. Those things must be the most, they must be the most important things to you for you to be able to surround your life around, all right? For me, three things are important, respect, honesty, and hard work, these three things. And a lot of times, by the time I go to bed at night, I ask myself this question, have I been honest enough today? Did I put in my best? Today, almost every night, without fail, I ask myself these questions. Did I put in my best? Did I treat everybody I came around as I want them to treat me? Those questions are always paramount in my life, and those are the things I surround my activity with. Now, I want to warn you quickly, because when we say simplify your life, it is very, very easy for you to simplify your life around activities. That is wrong. You don't simplify your life around activities. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to... No, that's not what you surround your That's not what you simplify your life around. Simplify your life, like Paul and David did, around some godly values. When you simplify them around some godly values, when you surround your life when godly when you surround your life around godly values they begin to dictate how you conduct yourself or conduct your life paul said he said i have conducted myself with simplicity and therefore anything that's not simple he throws it out that was how paul became victorious that was how he was able to be, to overcome the darkness and the death sentence that like he said was passed on him Simplify your life, simplify your life. So like I said, for me, I asked myself, have I been honest today in everything I did? Did I conduct myself honestly? Did I respect everyone like I'm supposed to do? And did I put in my best in everything I tried to do? And if I don't do that, I try to go back there. And guess what? My life begins to become streamlined. So that what? There are certain things that you think might be important or that you think I should take, I should take them as important. They are really not important to me because what? They don't, fall, they don't fall within the context of the values that drive my life. Just like Paul, just like David. David fought Goliath, why? Because Goliath disrespected the God of Israel. Why did he do that? Because that was the value that was driving his life right from childhood. But guess what? Absalom overthrew him, but he never fought back. Absalom, his son, started an insurrection against him, violated him, did all kinds of things. But guess what? David did not respond. Because you see, for David, The throne was not the important thing, the presence of God was the important thing. So what am I saying here this morning? Things and activities are not the important things, those are not what streamlines your life. It is the values that you really, really have embraced. Those are the things that streamline your life. And that is why David, even though he did not fight back from Absalom, in fact, he ran away. And as a mighty warrior, how can you fight Goliath at 17? And at some point in your life, a child that you have raised up, who is not even close to you in terms of his ability for warfare, overthrew you and you ran away. How do you explain that? It is the fact that there was a value that was driving his life. The palace was not his value. The palace was just an extension of what God has called him to do. All that was his value, the things that drove David, was guess what? The fact that he wanted to be in the presence of God and he wanted to learn in the presence of God. And if that one also included him being in the palace, then so be it. So what am I saying this morning? I'm trying to tell you this morning that when you streamline your life, sorry, when you simplify your life, when your life is simple, it is coalesced around some values. Guess what begins to happen to you? Your life becomes streamlined around what is important and what is not important. That's the first thing. You easily know what is important and what is not important. Let me tell you this morning, if you don't know, everything good is not important. It's not every, everything good. There's a difference between importance and good. And everything good is not important. And so a lot of times, we pursue good at the expense of importance, right? Because sometimes the things that are good don't, don't improve or don't increase the value of your life. That's why a lot of times, the things that disappoint us, after a while, when you look, at, when you look back, you are wondering, So why did I expend all my life on that? Especially in the area of relationships, right? You find out that a man has gone after this woman, he's tried and tried and tried and tried, or the woman has gone after this man, and they've tried and tried and tried, and it's just one disappointment after the other, one heartbreak after the other, and one pain after the other that it brings around them. Guess what? And after a while, down the while, when they are clear enough, In their minds to be able to think about the situation. And then they start asking themselves, what was it about the whole thing in the first place? You see, it shouldn't have taken, if you have simplified your life, it shouldn't have taken you 10 years to discover that there was nothing around it. If you have simplified your life, you will have known immediately that there was nothing here that I need to invest my life and my time on. And that will have saved you a lot of heartaches, a lot of pain. Sometimes there are some jobs that we pursue. We pursue them or some kind of, you know, business venture and all of that. Uh, I may get in trouble now, but I'm going, to talk about, I'm going to talk about my wife. I remember one time that she was, she was I mean, she, she was pursuing some particular line of, you know, uh, you know uh, when she just graduated at the time. And where we lived at the time, I mean, for you to be, for, for, you to, for anybody to say, oh, this person has a good job. You're either working in an oil company or you're working in a bank at that time. And that's all she wanted to do. And it was one heartbreak after the other. It was one nearly gets completely missed after the other. And you could see she was depressed. You could see she was not feeling good. And for a long time, she just kept on pursuing this and pursuing this and pursuing this. And she was not okay Until after some conversation, she now decided to try something else. Even though she tried that thing, it wasn't good enough. But I guess it was the beginning of her journey, away from all those disappointments and pain that she has gone through, and into the reality of a professional life that she ended up enjoying so well. What am I saying? I'm saying that a lot of times, we spend our time on things that are really not important because our lives are not simplified. Our lives are too complex. And so when we're supposed to go this way, we can easily miss it and go that way. And guess what? It begins to impact our mental health and begins to impact our mental, or our, 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 our ability to be sane and think properly and think, you know, uh, 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 in a way that can be of uh, relevance or good to our life. All right? So number one, when you simplify your life, it helps you to streamline your life around what is important and what is not. Number two, When you streamline your life, when you simplify your life, it helps you to quickly discern and focus on what is helpful. You quickly discern and focus on what is helpful. In fact, sometimes when you begin to operate and you begin to do things like this, people think you're a prophet. And they are wondering, how did you know this? How were you able to design it? Just tell them, I just simplified my life. That's it. (laughs) All right? It helps you. To be able to discern, in other words, when you simplify your life, there's no confusion, there are not too many confusions. It's not like spaghetti junction where you have this guy going, going this way and one going this way, and you are just confused when you just look at it. No, when your life is simplified, you can see ahead of you. You are very clear because there are certain things that are the parameters by which you judge your life, so it's very easy for you to say, mm, this is not important because it does not fall within the ambit of what is important to me. Mm, this is good. Because it falls within the square of what is important to me. And therefore, if these values are important to me, and these things fall within this square, then I need to pay attention to them. You're a student and somebody's asking, wow, how is it that you're able to manage your life? Just tell them I simplified my life. So I'm able to manage my time. I'm able to manage the time I go out and play. I'm able to manage the time I I study. I'm able to manage the time I relate. In fact, when you simplify your life, it's like you have more time than 24 hours in a day. Because your life has been devoid of all things that are not important. I tell you, the most things that consume our lives are the things that are really not important. How do you know that? when your life is simplified. Number three, when you simplify your life, it helps you to choose the line of action that is important and that is relevant. In other words, you know what to do with ease. You know what to do with ease when your life is simplified. Where am I going with all of this? What I'm trying to tell you is this, that from Paul's example, we have seen how he overcame those issues. And that's why if you look at Paul's life, Paul's life was very streamlined. In fact, at one time, uh, he forgot in, in one of those troubles in, in Asia Minor where he had to rush out and you know, where they had, to, you know, they, they had to smuggle him away from you know, uh, where uh, he was living at that time, or the city where he was at that time, where they had to smuggle him. And everything he had was just, you know, he just abandoned it. He left it aside. And so he told one of his disciples and told them, he said, said, when you are coming, just remember to bring me the parchments. Those are the things that were important to him. Forget about everything. In other words, he understood that what is important to him is that he wants to leave those things, forgetting those things that are behind. I want to march forward to those things that are before me why because that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering if by any means i may attain unto the resurrection you see how streamlined his life is you see why he was successful you see why even when he was in a state of despair he was still able to overcome and overcome the darkness and overcome the issues there are so many things that are going on in our lives that are going on in our marriages that are going on in our you know in our endeavors That are just not important and sometimes we cannot discern them we cannot see them because our life is too complicated especially with things that are not important i need us to have this habit or this attitude of trying to streamline our lives Uh, But let me put a caveat here. Now, I'm not saying that every, uh, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, every, you know, mental oppression and every issue and all of that, you know, has to do with because you didn't simplify your life or your life is complicated. That's not what I'm saying. There are some of them that are just there because it's just, you know, it's just, you know, the devil and the enemy and all of that that happens, right? So that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that for many of us, We can avoid this darkness when we begin to streamline our lives. Or we can remain in God's light when our lives are streamlined. All right? But before I go, I still have some few minutes. You know I will not leave without giving you an assignment, right? (laughs) I'm not going to leave without giving you an assignment. And here's what I want you to think about. And I want you to write it down. All right? Because, uh... Normally, I normally stay at that door whenever I'm not preaching. And when you're coming in, I'll ask you, I want to see the paper. I'm just kidding. But, but here is it. If you have never consciously, consciously or intentionally built or understand the things that are important to you, I think it's the right opportunity. You have an opportunity today to sit down and really think about it and say, hey, what's really important to me? What do I want to build my life around? What are the things that will help me to streamline my life to a place or a point where things that are unimportant will stop being important to me? And I'll be able to embrace the freedom that is in Christ because I have embraced simplicity. I have simplified my life. again. I want you, if you have to write it down, write it down. I told you mine, you know, I don't, you know, if you wake me from sleep, I'll tell you what, what is important to me. All right. And those are the measures and the standard by which I've built my life and surrounded my life as. you know why? Because I saw Paul do it. I saw David do it and I saw how successful they were. Even when they were weak, they were still successful because they were able to simplify their lives. So is that a promise you will do that you will do that for me and you do that for yourself? Okay, not everybody's saying that because you don't I'm not going to ask you but I just wanted to be. All right, God bless you.